Welcome to another episode of Laboratory Considerations from Q Squared Solutions. I'm your host, Chris Connor. Q Squared Solutions is a leading clinical trial laboratory services organization with end to end laboratory services and secure enterprise wide biospecimen and consent management solutions. Q Squared Solutions uses its global experience and scientific expertise to transform science and data into actionable insights that help customers improve human health. This joint venture of IQVIA and Quest Diagnostics combines the best of each parent organization's capabilities to treat each sample as if a life depends on it. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Baylor, Senior Director for Vaccines at Q Squared Solutions. And today we're talking about testing vaccines against the novel coronavirus SARS-CoV-2. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Thanks. Right now, there are a lot of candidates out there for waiting or soon to be tested. And to get them through clinical trials, scalability and throughput will be key. But before we get to that, describe the range of testing that's going to happen on these candidates. Sure. Uh, Q-squared solutions really is a end-to-end -end solution for people that are interested in developing clinical trials for vaccines. Within our arena of testing, we do everything from even logistics for clinical trials. We do such things as kit building, safety monitoring, shipping of samples around the world. But then when it actually gets down to the testing of those vaccine immune samples, we can do the wide variety of testing. We can do such things as genomic evaluation, doing PCR evaluations. We can do high throughput serological testing, basically just to see if a person is SARS-CoV-2 positive or negative. We have a, a wide variety of cutting edge flow cytometry technology that can either look at the phenotypic markers on, on the population in a whole, or, it can, or we could even do uh, detailed T cell responses by doing intracellular cytokine staining. In addition, if the type of trial that was being pursued was an antiviral or perhaps a broadly neutralizing antibody, we have a group that does bioanalytical and PK evaluations that could do that kind of assessment. And then finally, my group, we do vaccine and immunogenicity, which will be the focus of what we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So specifically for this conversation, we're going to focus on ELISA and virus neutralization assays. So let's start with the ELISA assays. There are a number of activities for ramping those up. Describe what those are and what your timelines are for those activities. Let me tell you a little bit first about the platform that we're going to use for, for ELISA. When you think about developing an ELISA for uh, an agent such as a virus that's going to be part of a vaccine, there's a couple different approaches you could take. You could take the traditional where you're just looking for one antigen, uh, probably the target of that specific vaccine, and seeing whether that single antigen has induced antibodies. SARS-CoV-2 is a really complicated virus. There's a lot of different parts of that virus that, that we're not really sure yet exactly what is the most important part of the immune correlate to protection. And for that reason, we decided to, to develop an assay that's actually going to allow us to evaluate multiple different antigens at the same time. We're looking primarily at the spike region, but then that's being dissected into different parts. Uh, we're doing the part that's called S1, S2, S1 plus S2, and then what's called the receptor binding domain. And then in addition, we would do a other protein that's very important is the nucleocapsid protein. So to get ready for these assays, obviously the first things we have to do is we had to down select our antigens that we were going to use for this. We had to decide out of the wide 
libraries of different recombinant proteins that are out there, which ones were important? Uh, happy to say we're already down that road. We've already got those selected. The next thing we did was we took the antigens that we selected and we worked on our multiplex platform. So we chose a Luminex-based assay, which uses microbeads. We've done our preliminary evaluations of that. We've developed the method and we currently have a prototype assay that we've done some initial evaluations of. So where we're at right now is the next critical step then will be to qualify that assay. And what that is, is that's doing some scientific evaluations to see some of the a very high level characteristics of that particular assay. Once we finish our qualification, we, the next thing we would do after that is then we would go into a validation. And a validation is where you really do a very stringent and controlled evaluation, getting the exact parameters that are important for that assay. That part is later this year, but the good news is that we anticipate having a fully qualified and ready for high throughput testing assay uh, ready for our customers by the uh, September of this year. So not too far out. And then once those assays are in place, what kind of throughput do you expect? I'm just getting a sense of the scale of the number of people that are going to be enrolled in these trials. That's a really good point. When you hear some of these news reports, it's very daunting when you hear some of these immunogenicity trials are going to have like in, in the tens of thousands of participants. The, the one thing that's important to remember is, is that typically when there's a, a trial that's in the, the 30,000 range, most pharmaceutical uh, companies are only going to do a percent of those samples in their immune testing. So that narrows down the 30,000 probably to, you know, maybe maybe five or 6,000 samples that might be coming to us for any particular vaccine trial. The good news is with the high throughput assay like this for ELISA, we can have a single person do between 75 and 100 samples per day. We can scale that up. And then if you start to do the math there, if you had three analysts, that would get you 3,600 samples per month. If you doubled that and you had six analysts doing it, you'd have as many as 7,200 samples per month. So it's a very scalable operation. And that's one of the beauties that we have at Q-Squared Solutions is that we can uh, really scale our operation according to the needs of the vaccine developer. Nice. So in the context of the virus neutralization assay, talk about some of the diseases for which Q-Squared Solutions has done vaccine testing in the past. Q-Squared Solutions is really in a unique place. And the fact that we've been in the vaccine development arena literally for decades, we, in that context, we've done pretty much everything from A to Z. I mean, if you think about the different diseases that have been out there, we've been doing adenoviruses, we've been doing Ebola, we dengue viruses, Japanese encephalitis viruses. And recently we've even helped some of our clients license their vaccine products. And particularly we've been involved recently in licensure for vaccines for both Ebola and for dengue. Talk about a little bit more about the types of neutralization assays that are available and what your plan is for implementing whichever you have decided. We wanted to bring to the market the leading edge technology for SARS-CoV-2 so that we could rapidly have an assay uh, that is, could be utilized for this. And when we think about the viral neutralization assays, there's a couple different approaches that we could take. Q-squared was interested in uh, collaborating with academic institutions where they can give us technologies that are, that are uh, broader and newer and better and higher throughput. 
So basically right now we are pursuing two parallel approaches. Uh, the first approach that we're using is, is called viral-like particles or VLPs. And we're collaborating with a, a colleague of ours to approach this. And basically the, the way that this assay works is you take the wild type SARS-CoV-2 virus and you then mutate it to remove the structural genes and replace them with the reporter gene. In this particular case, it's a GFP uh, or green fluorescent protein gene. And then you also add a neomycin resistance gene. Separately then what you do is you take a cell line and you make it so that it continuously expresses those structural genes you just removed from the virus. So then the way that you make a viral-like particle then is you infect that cell line with that replicon that you made by that mutation process. You put them together and you get what's called, packaged together is called a viral-like particle. These viral-like particles are only able to replicate one time and, and the beauty of that is because when you're doing your testing, you're doing it in a cell like Vero cells. Vero cells are the perfect choice for a viral-like particle assay or actually for any, any neutralization assays for SARS-CoV-2 because they express the important receptor on the surface of those cells that's needed for, for infection of the cells. So the viral-like particle is the first approach we're taking. The second approach we're using is what's called a vesticular stomatitis pseudovirion process. Uh, this is a very common process for viral neutralization assays, and it's just a different way of expressing a artificial virus. And, and basically what's happening here is you're taking the vesticular stomatitis virus genome, you're mutating it, you're removing the one of the, some of the genes for VSV, and you're inserting the SARS-CoV-2 spike codes, plus a reporter gene. Then you're able to express that and you get a protein then that's a virus-like particle or a pseudovirion that can be utilized. This approach has been used in the, over the years in a wide variety of different applications. And we've used it in Q-squared solutions for our use in Ebola and for some other vectors. So it's, it's another common approach for viral neutralization assays. You mentioned collaborations with some academic institutions. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about those? Sure, Chris. We wanted to bring the cutting edge technologies I mentioned to the forefront and giving us the best type of assays that we can have. So to do this, we form collaborations with two different academic institutions. The first one is for the VLP method that I mentioned a moment ago. And this is being done in collaboration with the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Texas, with the laboratory of Dr. Pei Young Shi. And then the second methodology is a vesticular stomatitis assay, which is a SARS-CoV-2 surrogate neutralization assay used under a license agreement with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. And what's the, the bigger strategy by taking this two-pronged approach um, with two methods at the same time? Our rationale when we got into this game was to deliver a product to the market as quickly as we possibly can. We figured if you put, if you go down to, if you're racing in parallel paths, then you're more likely to have a success pattern. So that's exactly what we're doing. We are basically evaluating both these methods in parallel to bring to the market the best assay as quickly as we possibly can. And we're convinced and know that we will be able to do this by this approach. And at the end of the day, how do you pick which one, what are the criteria for picking the assay that you'll end up using in the long run? So the most important things for the viral neutralization assay that we're going to use for high throughput testing is first and foremost that it's safe for us to use in our laboratory. So these assays have to be able to be done in a BSL-2 or a biosafety level 2 laboratory. The most important part though is how good of a correlation is there between the results that we'll get with this reporter virus system 
to what you would get with the wild type virus that's being done now in BSL-3 laboratories. As I had mentioned earlier, we're collaborating with academic institutions who have these high containment BSL-3 labs, which allow you to use the wild type virus. Uh, and what they're going to do is they're going to compare the new assay that they're building to us to the traditional wild type virus assays. And we're going to find out how good of a correlation there is in the results between those two assays. Whichever assay gives us the best correlation and the best precision in the evaluation is the one that's going to be the one we pursue to take to the market. Got it. A few minutes ago, you mentioned um, plaque assays, but the assays you're developing are using reporter viruses. Why is that? So one of the biggest advantages to having a reporter virus is that it, it decreases the, through the time that it takes for the assay to occur. You're having a fluorescent tag there that makes the able, ability to detect that virus much quicker. So therefore, the assay that might have taken four days before now can be done in a matter of a few hours, eight hours to overnight. The other thing that's very important is because that your signal is so much higher, it increases the sensitivity. So now we can measure very, very low levels of viral neutralization that you previously could not measure with the plaque assay. So it's, it's clearly advantageous to use this newer technology. Okay. And where are you on this one? What are the steps involved to get ready for all of those? You may have covered some of those about your collaborations with the institutions, but when will those be ready? So first, let's talk about our, our viral-like particle assay. So our, our colleague is uh, working on developing those assays, and, and they're making great progress. The first thing they had to do was create the Replicon, which was the deleted wild-type virus with the fluorescent tag, removing the structural genes. And then they created, created the cell line that expresses those structural genes continuously. They've done that. They've shown that it works. They get uh, very good production of the viral-like particles. Uh, they've done some initial evaluations to see that the assay works very well. What they're doing right now is they're going through the processes of increasing the, the production levels of the virus that, that are viral-like particles that are made in this processes. And we anticipate that assay will be handed over to us in the next couple of weeks that will allow us to do what we need to do in our, in our hands, which is be optimizing the assay and then getting it ready for doing a full qualification. With that process, we anticipate that this assay would be available for clinical testing by October of this year. Almost on this same exact path is the work that's being done for the vesicular stomatitis virus. A little bit of a difference here is the colleague that we're working with on that assay is a little bit further down the road. In fact, they've already shown proof of concept. They've actually already published the methodologies and they've already shown a good correlation between the wild type assay and the new reporter virus assay. We're just in the process of, of finalizing our agreements with that collaborator. And once we have that, again, we anticipate having that material and that assay in our hands in the next few weeks. It would be in a parallel path with anticipation that qualifications would be done in the very near future. And again, we anticipate that that assay should be ready for testing in the October timeframe. And so, like I said before, then it'll be, then it'll be the determination we'll have to make on which of those two assays performs the best, has the best precision. And we also would have to have input from clients. Sometimes there are clients who have a, a bias that they would like a particular assay format versus the other. So it's quite possible that there might be some clients that we would be doing the VSV assay and other clients we would be doing the VLP type assay. The, thing, the good thing is here is there are options. Yes, indeed. What kind of scale are we talking about for these assays? 
another advantage of the reporter virus assay is the high throughput. We were talking about plaque assays and how those may take four days. When you have a plaque assay, your throughput is horrible. The good news with the reporter virus, you get really good throughput. And a single operator can do between 150 and 200 samples per week. So again, if we use that model, if you had three operators, that would mean that they could do about 1,800 samples in a month. If you, had, you scale that up proportionally, if you doubled that with six operators, you'd be able to do 3,600 samples in a month. The good news is that, again, it's scalable, and Q-Square Solutions allows us to be able to have that scalable possibilities. Based on what you have mentioned, you've detailed ELISA neutralization assays, and both are measuring antibodies to SARS-CoV-2. Why are you using both of those methods? So I think I mentioned before that the hallmark to a, an effective vaccine is the presence of neutralizing antibodies. And the important thing to keep in mind is that a lot of the traditional assays, like the ELISA assay, is measuring binding antibodies. So you can have antibodies that bind and will give you a signal in an ELISA, but they may not be able to neutralize the virus. So the important thing then is to know the total amount of antibodies that are present versus the percentage of those antibodies that are able to neutralize. By running both an ELISA that measures total antibody presence versus a neutralizing antibody, then you know how much of those antibodies are actually functional. All right. And then it's my impression there may be dozens of different vaccine candidates being pursued right now all over the world. How do you keep up with the demand for what might be coming at you? So actually, the latest reports, I think there's well over 100 different vaccine products that are out there. You know, clearly, not all of those are going to make it through the regulatory challenges of a, of a phase one, then moving on to higher phase clinical trials. But you're absolutely right, Chris. There's a lot of samples that are coming down the road. Q-Square Solutions, especially our vaccine operation, which is based in San Juan Capistrano, California, is uniquely positioned in a scientific campus where we have the infrastructure and the capabilities and support to have a three-shift day operation, which basically means we can be doing this 24-7, which in, in the context of a pandemic is exactly what you need. The other advantage of Q-Square Solutions is that we have another Center for Vaccine Excellence located in Beijing, China. Uh, that allows us for us to evaluate clinical trial samples that would be coming to us with the same repertoire of assays in, in Beijing that we're running in San Juan Capistrano, California. The Q-Square Solutions uh, model is that we provide answers globally and with high throughput. Nice. Dr. Robert Baylor, it seems like you are in the right place at the right time. We're all hoping for success, of course. Thank you so much for sharing uh, this process and all your insights with me today. If people want to learn more, they can visit the website q2labsolutions.com and that's q, the number two, labsolutions.com and look for an insight brief on this topic. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Chris. Thank you for your time. You bet.